0: Hello, and welcome to the Trauma and Mental Health Reports podcast series. We aim to share stories and knowledge on topics related to trauma and mental health with the community. My name is Jocelyn Guman, and I'd like to welcome our guest for today's episode, Paul Scanlon. Today, we'll be discussing topics surrounding mentoring, leadership, and performance anxiety. Let's get into today's conversation. I would like to dive right into interviewing our guest today. So hi, how are you, Paul?
1: hi i'm good how are you
0: i'm doing great and that's good. great you're doing good um we're excited to have you on the podcast today Thank you. so myself and the audience would love to get to know you a little bit more today and mm. love to hear if you'd be able to give a little bit of a backstory of who you are
1: well nothing over exciting there i don't think compared to most people's backstories i was born raised in a very uh, working class, large family, I think, by anybody's standards, then or now. Uh, I was born in March 1957. I turned 66 last month. Mm-hmm. I got married uh, very early, and we have four daughters, all married, and now eight grandchildren. They have two kids each.
0: Oh, well, that's very lovely.
1: So, yeah, and um, left home in my teens, as I said, and got married and sort of started working different jobs Mm -hmm. and uh, spent 30 years actually from my early twenties through to my early fifties pastoring in a church here in the UK
0: um,
1: in, in what, you know, is commonly called ministry, I suppose, Mm -hmm. working in in a charity. Um, And then about 15 years ago, Transitioned out of that into what I now do around the world, which is more a combination of um, live events, uh, teaching on communication and leadership uh, and team building, um, and I do a lot of mentoring and coaching and so on and so on. And of course, now I can do that live because we couldn't in COVID. I started doing a little bit more traveling. I haven't missed traveling at all, I have to say. Uh, I was reluctant to jump back on planes and go to Australia a couple of weeks ago. Uh, reminding me how much I didn't miss it when I did that. So I now do a combination of those things. Of course, a lot of stuff I do online, like most of us do now that do what I do and others do what they do online. And uh, so, yeah, combination of those things.
0: I love that. That is very, very inspirational. And I'm curious, you mentioned that you started mentoring right after pastoring. And I'm interested in knowing what got you interested in mentoring, I guess.
1: I think when I had a version of that, it was never called mentoring back then. But Mm -hmm. when I was privileged to be driving someone somewhere or with someone around a table, And they were sharing things that were obviously hard-earned wisdom for them. Mm -hmm. And they were freely sharing that around the table. I was aware that I was privileged to be included in that space in those moments. But I was also aware not everybody around the table felt the same. And I realized that I was leaning in in a way that others didn't. And I think that's important to mention because mentoring is only as good as both people involved. And this person would be talking and sharing stories and principles and wisdom that they gleaned in life. And I got an awful lot from it. I didn't know what to call that. And I didn't know how to recreate it. So it was kind of occasional and it felt organically occurring. It wasn't organized or planned or appointment booked or paid for. But it was now looking about what I would call mentoring. And I think when I wondered about what I'd do next after I finished pastoring, I felt that mentoring, as opposed to coaching, distinctly now, should be an important part of what I do. So that's what I've leaned into in this last 15 years, being more intentional about mentoring people from all walks of life and all ages and stages of life to try and give what I felt was given to me back then because it was life-changing for me, even though no one probably knew that it was. So my most, I think, inspirational, formative shaping moments of life have been some version of what now I would call mentoring, a skillful, guiding voice in my life, whether it was um, accidental, as I mentioned earlier, or more structured as it's become in recent years, that's why I do mentoring because I don't think there's any replacement actually in life for a well-chosen, guiding voice in your life at the right time when you need that. I think it's priceless.
0: That's super inspirational. And it just shows that like looking within can help you find chase and help you chase your dreams and find truly what you want to do. So I have another question. Based off of what, like I've just heard. Yeah. Um, have you found that mentoring others has empowered yourself in a way, maybe through seeing success stories or of other individuals that you've mentored?
1: I don't know that it empowers me. Um the idea with mentoring is that it empowers them, not me. I think I need to be in my power and operating in. The clarity of what my gift is and what I bring. I think all good mentors have that in common. But great mentoring is focused on empowering the person you're helping. And I think one of the things I want to know that's happening for people that I'm helping is that they feel that they feel seen, they feel understood, they feel the language of their life is interpreted more clearly to them. Mm-hmm and therefore feel empowered. So the whole energy of my approach to mentoring is about empowering people to stand in their truth, Mm -hmm. to figure out their identities and become confident in that identity, and ultimately to be an authentic version of themselves, which is, of course, the ultimate form of empowerment.
0: Through your live sessions and mentoring, I was wondering if you've ever seen like cases of individuals grow from attending specifically your live sessions and mentoring
1: oh hugely yes yeah. so many examples of people that um either in a one-off which is sometimes the case or repeated uh, sessions with people i also have a global online mentoring group that's from around the world so whether it be from the group or from individuals that i do one-on-one with Yes, absolutely. And if that wasn't the case, I'd question why I was doing all the value of what I brought to people, That's
0: yeah. Very true, yeah, it's very true. So looking through your socials and through little TikTok um, videos that I've seen go viral, um, I've, see, I've noticed that there's a quote you say, which is life is lived from the inside out, not outside in. What do you mean by this?
1: Well, I think in the Western world, we are obsessed with living from the outside in, and it has not got us very far. And I think the emerging generation are so aware of the shallowness of that idea. And I don't mean that external things don't matter. They do, but they don't matter as much as our internal ecosystem and taking care of that. And, and sadly, we live in a world, especially as I say, in the West, where we are much more intentional about our external appearance and external things and the appearance of external success than we are about the health of our inner life. So that's what I mean. I mean that really life to be lived in the way that it can be and should be, for life to be as fulfilling and as happy and as successful as it can be and should be, all of that has to come from the inside out, not the outside in. I think the gap between someone's external life that's grand and big and successful, who have an internal life that's none of those things, that's where we have so many examples all across the world where there's a pandemic of people that are caught wanting and lacking and in deficit between those two versions of them. A successful, apparently um, good-looking, achieving external life, having all the things that people think makes you happy, but they are not happy and they are not fulfilled and they are not well. And they're struggling with mental and emotional health and so on and so on because they are not taking care of their internal world.
0: I actually resonate a lot with that. And I'm sure a lot of our audience does too so your three passions of communicating leadership and building people how do you think that improving such areas can impact one's life in a positive way
1: well because they're all fundamental to a quality life are those three things communication and leadership um and growing people all of that has been foundational to my life and i think it is to every human being's life some version of that so those three things have become distinctive passions of mine because I then I know there's other things in life that matter and that people focus on and that's great there's a lot of overlap of course Mm -hmm. in those three areas and those three areas cover a whole massive range of things that don't appear to be to do with Mm -hmm. those three things but uh I have found majoring on those three things has given me plenty to do and plenty of people to reach. So I doubled down on making that my primary focus. And my delivery system, as we said earlier, is often through mentoring and through one-on-one time with people or with my global group. Uh, With the global group, I get to do something different because once a month I get to choose a topic or they sometimes do that I will teach on. And then we do Q&A and have a discussion about so i love the variety of the group mentoring compared to the one-on-one mentoring the one-on-one tends to be set the agenda set by the individual mm-hmm. but we are still dealing in these three areas i think whichever form of that that i am doing
0: yeah i like that there's like a foundation almost yeah, you build yeah. On it. that's actually yeah. it's just a lot of insight um, so today's focus of the podcast i wanted to ask about performance anxiety yeah so millions of people suffer from performance anxiety, commonly called stage fright, and it can prevent you from doing what you enjoy and can affect your career as a whole. But in your case, you public speak for a life or a living. Mm-hmm. And as someone who's in public speaking, have you ever had anxiety towards large crowds or going on stage?
1: I have. Um i realized it wasn't about what i thought it was about the anxiety attached to public speaking often you think is about external things and external things matter you know we want the external things to be thought through and done well i want the sound system to be working well if i'm using media i want the media tech guys to be on their game um I don't want distractions in the room, I hope the room is well lit and I hope it's warm enough or cool enough, whatever, and so on and so on. Those external things matter, but ultimately they're not the things that give you um, anxiety or stage fright. That tends to be rooted more in a lack of preparation and a lack of readiness and not knowing your stuff. So really the size of the crowd, I know that can matter and and, and the demographs matter and the culture that we're in matters. Some of that has caused me some anxiety over the years, i.e. is this group a good fit for me? Uh, Am I with the right people in the room? Um, Am I going to have cultural challenges here in a certain country or a certain stage of life or age group or nationality, culture? Some of those things can cause a bit of anxiety because they're unknowns if it's a new group to you or a new dynamic but ultimately what the common de- the common denominator of everywhere I speak is me
0: yeah
1: and how prepared I am so I think if people are well prepared know their stuff yeah ultimately that is the strength that you stand in and I know that there's a lot of variables you can't control but that's going to be true. Anywhere that you speak publicly, someone asked me a while back in a public Q and A, "Do I still get, you know, nervous when I speak like you just did?" And I said, "Well, the best way I can answer that, maybe this will help our listeners, yeah. is you know that saying we have, you probably have it where you are too, getting butterflies in your tummy."
0: Yeah, I experienced that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, I said the difference now from when I started with regard to that idea, that metaphor is that I still get butterflies now. The difference between when I first started doing this and now is that now I get them to fly in formation. It's about management of the butterflies. I don't think it's ever to do with getting rid of them. I think you're always gonna have some degree of, of, of nervousness, Mm -hmm. or anxiety or butterflies i don't think the idea is to eradicate them i.e if i feel nervous maybe i shouldn't be doing this is a wrong takeaway yeah the presence of nerves means that you care about what you're doing it means that there are certain things in the mix today that are making you that way and that's okay so you are into management of all of that rather than thinking i can only do this if i don't feel nerves at all i don't think that's ever going to happen and if it does, I would say beware of that, because maybe you're getting too blase, or it's becoming too easy, or you're too comfortable. And that can have its own problems, too.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting, because you touched on like one of another like another question that I was going to ask you, which was, where do you think stage fright stems from? And I know you mentioned not being like prepared enough when you go on. Do you think there's anything else that it could stem from?
1: Yeah, I think it stems from personality types. I think yeah. if you have a controlling personality
0: yeah.
1: um, and there's so many things you know you can't control, mm-hmm. then that can cause anxiety. I think if your primary human need, there are six that we humans have. I think if your primary human need like mine is certainty, then you want a lot of boxes ticking that you can't tick. Yeah, So that can cause anxiety. A lot can go wrong when you're publicly speaking and you're relying on other people to do a lot of the things that need to be done well. Like Mm -hmm. I said, the sound system or the lighting um, or the multimedia presentation or the seating or the atmosphere in the room and so on and so on. All of those things can make communicating very difficult if they're not done well, but you don't control those necessarily. When I do my own events around the world, I take charge of all those things forensically or my team do. Mm -hmm. But when you are a guest somewhere, the best you can do is suggest, you know, has this been thought through? Um, Have you thought of this? You don't come across like a diva. Mm -hmm. And often people that don't public speak don't understand why you're asking about details. For instance, um, when I public speak now and I'm a guest, people ask my team, uh, does Paul want something to drink? on the stage with him and my team say yes he wants water poured in a glass oh that sounds like I can't be bothered to pour my own water in a glass but it comes from years of experience of knowing how many things can go wrong opening a bottle of water and pouring it in front of thousands of people a lot can go wrong um and has for me I remember giving I've been given bottles to drink out of water bottles that you suck Mm-hmm. But a sucking bottle. Oh. you don't do that on a microphone in a room yeah. or I've been given plastic bottles and the, the the underneath of the bottle was indented. So when I put the bottle back down, it fell over because I didn't know the bottom of the bottle had indentations in it. It's that. So there's so many things. So when we say poured in a glass or if it's going to be pouring himself, put it in, you know a pitcher to use, a, a, a jug to use, it sounds like you're a diva, but it's it's me wanting to control yeah. all the things I know can go wrong. The people that don't do what I do don't understand matters enough to mention. So you control as many of those as you can. So the absence of controlling those also, yes, can make you anxious.
0: That's actually very interesting because through your own experience, you've been able to kind of combat that stage fright by like being prepared and being like, I need this. I need to have like my water poured in a glass and that in itself can help you with your stage fright.
1: Yeah. But- and I also like a headset microphone. I don't like a handheld or a tie microphone. I like a headset and I've been using headsets, you know, for 30 years. But when I first started using them, nobody had them. When I, when I used hotel venues, they don't offer a headset as an option. So I bought my own, I bought my own Um, mixing desk and uh, because I was trying to take control of all these things that were randomly available around the world and I would say to people that do public speak regularly if you control as many things as possible it will reduce your anxiety.
0: Very true so do you have any like a few tips off the top of your head that you would give to our audience if they have stage fright and they're trying to overcome it and how to like combat it?
1: Yes number one don't treat it as weird or strange or interpret it as a reason to stop or to think you are not good enough or to think that people that do this well don't get nervous because they do we do so first of all make friends with it don't don't be afraid of it happening realize it's probably going to happen and then the next thing i'd say is analyze why this is why I'm saying so much to you about all the details of it, analyze why, do you feel nervous? Because what matters most is, are you nervous because you're not prepared? Mm -hmm. The answer is no, then that's all that matters. Are you prepared? Do you know your stuff? Yes, then you're really okay. All these other things that you're anxious about, like I mentioned earlier, you're gonna get that anywhere you go. So once you settle into, I'm nervous about this, this and this, but none of that's to do with my internal control of what I'm carrying, of what I'm speaking, then you're going to be good to go. And if you rest in your internal gift, your internal um, knowing of your stuff, rest into that, step into that, be present in that, Mm -hmm. then you'll be fine. And eventually you realize that nerves never again are really something to worry about because they're always really often to do with external things. Um, a lot of it is to do with the ego as well mm-hmm. of how will people view me? What will people think about me? Especially if there's certain people in the room that you want to impress, yeah, that are on the front row, or you are desperately hoping you'll get an invitation back. So you mm-hmm. want to do really well. All of that can often be our ego wanting us to overperform, to overplease that can create a false sense of anxiety that you just don't need either.
0: Yeah, those are some great tips. And I'm just curious if you think that one can completely overcome stage fright or is it something that one should be able to learn to mask?
1: Yeah, I don't think you learn to mask it. I think you just manage it. It's not masking it. Mm -hmm. It's not denying it. It's not overcoming it. It's like I said earlier, it's getting it to serve you. It's getting them to fly in formation. That's the best outcome I think you can you can hope for and that's a good outcome yeah because you you have formed a healthy relationship with with this idea of stage fright, anxiety, a bit of nervousness. so you're never afraid of it because you found a way to manage it. What you can manage you don't have to be afraid of exactly. what you try to get rid of, but don't know if you have, you are afraid of. So I accept the fact that I'll never get rid of it. That's cool because I'm just going to manage it. Lots of things in life that's true about lots of things every day in our lives we don't get free of.
0: Yeah.
1: We manage it. I say it's the difference between a problem to solve and attention to manage. You can't solve attention. You can only manage it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: nerves and stage fright are attention to manage. They're not a problem to solve.
0: That's very inspirational. I feel like I resonate a lot with what we've talked about today, especially with stage fright. I've personally like suffered from that a lot in university and like even through like podcasting now and just interviewing individuals. But I think just being prepared, like you said, can really help combat that. And instead of masking it, I, I I should learn. And I think our audience should take some tips too. just learn how to manage it and yeah, be prepared. I think so. and yeah and that was very very insightful well that concludes our podcast today right. and I'm so happy that you were able to come on the trauma and mental health report and get yeah. your insights on these topics and on on stage fright and mentoring and it was just extremely lovely to have you on and hear your perspectives on it all
1: Great. Thanks, Jocelyn. And everybody listening, thank you. All the best to you and the podcast channel. Thanks for doing this. And thanks for connecting me with your audience out there in Canada. Thanks, everybody. Take care.
0: You've reached the end of this episode with the Trauma and Mental Health Report podcast. Thanks for joining us. Connect with us at trauma.blog.yorku.ca. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter to see our latest content. See you at the next episode.